good. There's a guy, he's 25 years old, and uh, he was uh, arrested for committing about 10 robberies. Now, how did they catch the guy? DNA, his fingerprints, cool forensic stuff like you see on television. <clears throat> what happened was a home was robbed, and uh, the family noticed there was a cell phone that didn't belong to any of them plugged into the wall, charging. <laughs> yeah, you can put the rest of that together yourself. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. Um, in all seriousness, yesterday was an embarrassing day for me. Uh, I try not to cry. Sometimes it just happens. For no good reason, I wasn't a robber, but I was robbed. And I don't mean that physically. But maybe this is worse. I was just kind of bummed. I woke up bummed. It's kind of a bummer of a day. And they happen sometimes. I have no idea what the trigger is. And uh, Teresa said, you know, my wife, Teresa, she said, you know, tomorrow's topic is what? <laughs> it's like, joy. <laughs> joy is tomorrow's topic. She said, you know, tomorrow's topic is joy, and I think someone is trying to steal yours. And I was guilty. She's a wise woman. Joy is a response that is rooted way deep down in Jesus. That says, no matter what's going on, I am content, and I will trust God, and I will celebrate what he has done in my life. We have no way of processing all of the stuff we could talk about uh, and about joy today, obviously. But what we're going to do is take a really quick journey through parts of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to walk through a few passages. Um, well, the first one is in Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to read pretty quickly through the stories. We're not commenting so much on the text of the story as to what happens because of the story. Does that make sense? So we're not breaking these down verse by verse or anything. We're just getting the concept of what happens in each of these stories. So, in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So Peter and John are going to pray. And notice this is something that's frequent in their lives. They just do this. It's a good example for us. Morning, middle of the day, evening. Just kind of their traditions. 
This man is at the beautiful gate, which is the entrance to the temple, and people are going to worship, and so that's a pretty good place to be because people are going to feel like, well, I've got to give something to this guy, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look good for worship and stuff like that. So uh, it's a pretty good spot. But when Peter and John um, talk to the guy, they actually make eye contact. You guys ever drop a quarter or a dollar, you know, off and feel like that was good to somebody that's in need? I have. You ever stop and talk to them? I've done that less frequently. That, that is really significant. I think that's a huge part of the story for us to get, but that's not the main point. When he is invited, the lame man is invited, he has two responses. His first response is, yes, <laughs> I'll take that. What you're selling, this Jesus thing, I'm good with that. And in response to what happened because of Jesus, he was joyful. He went walking and leaping, jumping and praising. Now, their culture was not exactly into that, and especially in the, in the temple worship, it was a little more structured. So here's this guy at the entrance to the temple, whoop, whoop, yeah, whoop, 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 you know? And if I would do that right now, like I just did, you would think, what's up? You know, that's a little bit odd. It kind of gives you that feel of when David was dancing before the Ark of the Covenant as it was coming into Jerusalem, and he was very undignified, according to his wife, and he said, I'll become more undignified than this. You get that sense that that's what's happening with this guy. So joy was expressed in his life in that kind of way. Now... I don't want you to get the idea that that's the only way that joy is expressed. It's not. Joy can be the most invisible, contented, I am okay with God no matter what's going on around me response. And if we judge how someone responds to God with joy, that's on our heads, not theirs. So don't worry about how you respond with joy, but do respond with joy and make it authentic. I do think that that's an area that we need to be honest with ourselves. If we get really excited about something, and yet we have never gotten that excited about what God has done, that might be a thing we need to look at. Or if we get really deep into something, and we've never gone that deep with God, that might be something we need to look at as well. So respond authentically to God with joy. And that's what this guy did. His physical needs were met. And when we have our physical needs met, we can respond with joy as well. In Acts chapter 8, we see another story. This is a story of a man from Ethiopia. And we're, again, we're just going to read this entire thing, so stay with me. Starting in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? 
How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Both of these men follow God. Philip had been doing some incredible ministry, very, very significant things that God was doing through him. But when the angel said, look, you need to leave this really successful thing that everybody knows and is cool, I want you to go down, I want you to just meet with one guy. He said, okay, I'll do that. And that's a good question for us. Are you okay to just leave a kind of a visible, prominent area of service and maybe recognition and go to a place where God says, this is where I want you to serve? The Ethiopian, Ethiopian was also very dedicated, very committed to following God. He traveled approximately 1,500 miles to go to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, we thought it was bad, you know, on the northwest side of Columbus with a car. 1,500 miles is approximately the distance between Columbus and Albuquerque, New Mexico, just to give you some context. Pretty far. And notice what he was doing after worship. He was what? Reading the Word of God. Worship and Bible reading are really important parts of our spiritual formation. And they placed him where God could do some things in his life. The official said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what God has asked, and then I hope God shows up, and he did. And so Philip comes physically beside this guy, and he meets him there, and he goes with him physically. But you know what else? He goes with him spiritually. Philip meets the guy where he is spiritually and begins with that very passage and talks to him about Jesus. And the Ethiopian says, you know what? I understand all this stuff you're talking about, so I want to give my life to Christ, and I want to be baptized. And Philip says, that sounds like a good idea. And he does. So the Ethiopian responded first with obedience. Obviously, Philip had talked to him about what it meant to give your life to the Lord and must have included baptism, which was not something that was found in that text at all. It was in fact not even found in the Old Testament. So Philip is explaining part of giving your life to the Lord. This is the process. So he responds, the Ethiopian responds with obedience. And then secondly, once he is saved, once his life is completely changed, he responds with rejoicing. He is joyful. So his spiritual needs have been met. It's another good way for us to be grateful and to respond with joy. <clears throat> the next place that we see joy is in Acts chapter 15, in verse 3. Um, and we see this, this is an example of not joy for our own situation, but joy for someone else's. 
Um, and it's important for us to focus on other people. Yesterday, when I was, you know, so mopey and, oh, woe is me and life's hard, um, I paused for a midday time of prayer. And in the, the book that I'm using for that, here is what the prayer was. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Many of you recognize that's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. I think God had that one in mind for me yesterday when I was all focused on me. Focus on somebody else. And we see that same attitude in Acts chapter 15, verse 3. This is what it says. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This, made, uh, this news made all the brothers very glad. And that word, very glad, is translated joyful, or it gave them great joy in some translations. They, they saw that people had been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it gave them great joy. Their response to the benefit of someone else was joy. And Jesus talks about that. In Luke chapter 15, he gives some examples of things that were lost being found. And listen to what it says in Luke 15, verse 7, and Luke 15, verse 10. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And if you were at VBS, that verse is right there in your head if you memorized it. You already knew that. And verse 10 says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoicing because someone has been saved. That's a decision we should, should celebrate with people, and I think it's a really cool thing to do that annually, like you do a birthday. Now, repentance, salvation, that's not an ending point. That's not a finish line. It's a starting place. And our life continues, and our life still has challenges, but it's so much better to, to journey through life with Jesus by your side and the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, when you have God in your life, even your trials can be a place where you can experience joy. The apostles, going back to, to chapter 5 of Acts, they just continue to teach about Jesus. They've been told not to. <laughs> and they still do it. And the persecution of the church begins. And it started then and it still continues to this day. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of that Jesus is the Christ. Even in their trials, even in persecution, they obeyed God and not people and they found joy. Now, in trials, it's a little harder to find joy than it is when your physical needs have been met or when your spiritual needs have been met or when something is happening good for someone else, especially if they're saved. It's a little easier for us to rejoice in those areas than it is when it's tough in our own lives. 
but we can find joy there. As a follower of Jesus, you have been designed for joy. You are in relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. You have been given hope for eternity and hope for today. And you have a life of blessing and contentment no matter what. Are there any circumstances that are trying to rob you of joy? Don't let it happen. Choose joy. In his excellent book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which is available in our Oasis bookstore, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg writes this. We all live with the illusion that joy will someday come when, t- when conditions change. We go to school and think we'll be happy when we graduate. We're single and we're convinced that we'll be happy when we get married. When we get married, and we, de- we decide we're going to be happy when we have children. And when we have children, then we decide we'll be happy when they grow up and leave the nest. And then they do, and we think we were happier when they were at the house. This is God's day, the psalmist says. It is the day God made, a day that Christ's death has redeemed. If we're going to know joy, it must be this day, today. But this raises the question, how can I embrace joy amid all the pain and suffering in the world? Is it right to be joyful in a world of hunger and violence and injustice? It's precisely here that we make one of the most surprising discoveries. Often it is the people closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. And then he goes on to talk about Mother Teresa and how she experienced joy in suffering and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he experienced joy even in being in prison. He says, true joy, as it turns out, comes only to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. This is the most visible in extraordinary lives like in saints and martyrs, but it is no less true for ordinary people like us. And then I love his summary. If we don't rejoice today, we will not rejoice at all. If we wait until conditions are perfect, we will still be waiting when we die. If we are going to rejoice, it must be in this day. Joy is a decision. Jonathan Lockwood Huey said, Joy is a choice, but it isn't an easy choice. Henry Nguyen said, Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. And in Philippians 4.4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Choose to have joy. Paul and Silas, they chose joy. These guys were in prison and in horrible consequences. And you see that in, in Acts chapter 16, and they were in prison for... for freeing someone from demonic possession. But you know what? Her handlers, the people who, quote, owned her, were losing money on the proposition. That's still happening in our world today. People owning other people and making money off of them in horrible ways. Paul and Silas freed this girl from this, and then they were put into prison. They were beaten. They were put into stocks. And what was their response in Acts chapter 16? Their response was prayer and singing praise to God. And evidently they weren't praying for their release because when the earthquake came and all their shackles came off, did they run away? No. They were simply rejoicing, giving God praise, even in a circumstance like that. And some really, thing, some really cool things happened because of that choice. Other prisoners paid attention to what they did because it was so different than what everyone else was doing. 
And soon after Paul and Silas chose joy, God acted in a mighty way. And soon after that, the jailer came to faith, and he and his whole family were baptized. Sometimes what you do in a time of trial and difficulty and, and pain will affect not only your life, it may be the catalyst for someone else to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Inspired by God, Paul wrote our summer theme verse, and we're going to say it together now. We're choosing to have joy, even though our projector is not being very joyful today. So this is a good test to see how much of this passage we know, okay? Oh yeah, you can sort of read it, all right? Here we go. If you, if you don't need the words, don't read them, but let's read it if you need them. Oh good, see? You didn't need them. All right, all right so we're going we're gonna to do the whole thing from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and then say Galatians 5, 22 and 23 at the end. All right, here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Great job, guys. Ultimately, our joy comes from Jesus. Today we've done a super fast walk through part of the book of Acts. Do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. A guy named Luke. And here's how he starts the book of Acts. He says in verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all about, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So what is his former book? He says in my former book, Theophilus. So is his book Theophilus? No. That's the name of the guy he's writing to. His former book is the Gospel of Luke. And you know, as Luke wrote the book of Acts and talked about all these situations of joy, do you know how he starts and ends his gospel? At the beginning, he talks about joy, and at the end, he talks about joy. When he gets to the meat of why he's writing his gospel, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, you've heard this, you've heard this, you've heard this, but realize what the context is. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people because to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And at the end of his gospel, the last verses of Luke, this is what it says. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they continually stayed at the temple praising God. You, Luke says, these, these people, because they experienced Jesus, were full of great joy. Not just joy. In Greek, it's megas kara. Mega joy. Great joy. Luke is very clear in Acts and in his gospel. People who love Jesus experience joy. We have joy, great joy because Jesus came to earth and gave us hope and died for our sins and gives us the hope of eternity with God because of his resurrection. And so Jesus changes everything. Now right now, right now, like Paul and Silas, we're going to do two things. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. And we're not just singing one song. We're actually going to do three. Don't worry about the time. Now you're all worried about the time. 
Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing three songs of praise and joy and celebration for who God is and what He's done. Let's pray. God, You are incredibly good to us, and You have given us joy through Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on what's happening around us. It's based in Jesus. It's rooted in the truth of your word. It's rooted in the Holy Spirit being involved in our lives and and changing us, transforming us to produce fruit like love and joy. Today, God, may we celebrate with joy, however that looks, giving thanks to you, praising you for what you have done. God, if there's a person here who is not confessed you as Lord, has not embraced Jesus as Savior, God, I pray that they would come and do that this morning. Our hearts are full of joy, God, no matter our circumstances, because of who you are and what you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and let's sing with joy.